Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous two programs, I was talking about Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. And what I really wanted to communicate to you is that there is a difference between knowing your God and being known by your God. There is a difference between the two. It can be very challenging for a person to embrace the idea that God is knowable to a certain extent. Of course, we cannot know everything about him. He didn't create us in a way that we could know him in his entirety, but we can know him in some ways. And that is definitely something that we should pursue. But that in addition to that, through the revelation of who he is, we can begin to appreciate the fact that If he does not know who we are, he would not be able to reveal himself in a way that we can understand. And so he must know you. He must know what you know. He must understand what you understand so that he can speak to you in a way that you will understand. And I believe that that is an opportunity for you to realize that your God does know you. Now, of course, this is only possible through the gospel, through the resurrection, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It is only possible when a person begins to embrace the truth that he has revealed already concerning the forgiveness of sins and being set free from the law. But if a person has not yet embraced the forgiveness of sins, if they are not set free from the law, if they are continually trying to live a life of the restraint of their flesh, if that's how they're living because they believe that God still holds their sins against them, then they don't know the Lord. They don't know him in the way that he wants them to know him. And there is no way that he is going to know them in the way that they probably would like him to know them, especially when they are finally confronted with him personally when they leave this world and enter into his presence in the kingdom of heaven, and they hear those words, either I know you or I don't know you, then it will certainly become a real issue. Now, when Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, when he wrote things like, in verse 9 it says, But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. When he says things like this, he makes a clear division between himself and these other people who were disturbing the people of Galatia. These other people who came from where? They came from Jerusalem. They were people who were discipled in Jerusalem by the people who Paul spoke of in Galatians chapter 2. People such as James, Peter, John, those 
who appeared to be something, but added nothing to his faith. Go back and read Galatians chapter 2. Review that in order to understand what I'm explaining to you. I'm explaining to you the fact that Paul makes a division. He makes a division in the church between those who were coming from Jerusalem and they were going to the Galatians. They went there and they told the Galatians that they needed to live a life of obedience to the law of Moses. And Paul says, no, that is not the way of life that we have been called to. That is not the new covenant. That is the old. The old had a place and a purpose, and we should use it for its purpose, but not for a purpose that it wasn't given for. So when he says these things, he says very clearly to those who would pay attention, he says very clearly that there are people who are in bondage. There are people who do not know God and who are not known by God. That's what he says again in verse 9. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You were once in bondage. You have been set free through the forgiveness of sins, of course. Why is it that you want to go back to bondage and not know your God and not have a relationship with him and not have him know you and relate to you on that basis. What he says here is that those people who were disturbing them are the ones in bondage and are the ones who do not know God. That is what he says. Now, to put that in today's context, I can easily put that in today's context. If a person comes to you and says that you should be observing days or months or seasons or years or festivals, in other words, If a person comes to you and says you should be observing certain days in the way, of course, that they say you should be observing them, or even in the way that the law declares, if that is what they tell you, then this is a person who does not know God. They may know the law, that's true, but they do not know the person who wrote it or the reasons why he wrote it, and they are misusing and abusing the word of God for their own personal purposes not for God's. This happens today, all the time, in all kinds of different contexts. You think about your own personal experiences that relate to this, and you will see what I am telling you. So when he says these things, he makes a clear division. There is no need to be afraid of making a division like this. There is no reason to be afraid at all and to realize that this is extremely important. Now, why would a person live a life of bondage? Why? Why would a person live a life trying to restrain their flesh, knowing that they never will? That's one form of bondage. And also to stir up more sin in their lives, because that's what the law will do, and that will be another form of bondage. Why is it that a person will pursue that? Well, you have to ask people individually, but I can tell you from my experience that there are some very attractive reasons as to why people would choose bondage over knowing their God or being known by him. There are several reasons. For example, the most popular is definitely told to us by the law itself. The law says that if you will observe these things, if you will obey 
if you will restrain your flesh, if you will get your sin under control, then you will be blessed by God. That's why. You will have the blessings that the law describes, such as having plenty of food to eat. You will overcome your enemy in war. You will lend and not borrow. There are many things in the law that are very appealing, and this is the motivator. People want to be blessed. They want to be blessed by God. They want to experience an opportunity to really indulge their flesh in this world, not necessarily in a sinful way, but to indulge their flesh in other ways. You know, there is an opportunity to indulge the flesh when you have plenty of flour in your kneading bowl and when you lend and not borrow. I mean, I can appreciate these things, but there's an opportunity for indulgence. And that tends to be the attraction, the appeal that people have. Who cares about God when you can be blessed in all these various different ways? And that's the point. You will never, never experience a relationship with him personally because the law never promised that you would experience that. So you always have to consider why is a person doing these things? Why would they do these things? You know, one of the reasons why people will pursue the law, they will pursue a system of bondage, why they will do things to try to get their flesh under control. One of the reasons why is because there are special opportunities for a person to have a need for God to intervene. There are always special opportunities, and you usually want to have these things worked out in advance, you know. For example, when a person gets injured or they have a medical condition of some kind, when you have an issue in your flesh, when you are in pain, when you are suffering in some way, you may find yourself in a situation where your only hope is to appeal to God for his divine intervention in your life. That may be your only way. And if he does not intervene, then this is an opportunity for you to see that you have failed, that you have sinned, that there's definitely something wrong with you. Because if you had gotten it right, if you were doing okay then he would intervene in this kind of a circumstance. This is how the Pharisees perceived infirmities or injuries or problems that people might have, you know, if they couldn't see or if they couldn't hear or if they broke a leg or something like that. If they experienced some physical trauma of some kind to their being, to themselves, to their flesh, if they were no longer as functional as they once were or as functional as they could be, then the Pharisees taught that this was probably a divine judgment of God. A divine judgment. Now, this is very important because if you want to be set free from the divine judgment, then that means that you're going to have to get your flesh under control. You're going to have to obey the law, obey his commandments, and eventually when you get it right, then he will probably be merciful. Now, of course, this was also used by them as a way of telling people that they were righteous, that they were holy. Not the people who they were talking to, but the religious people, the the Pharisees would tell people that they were righteous, that they were holy. And the indicator was that they did not have these physical problems, that they were not sick, that they didn't have these issues. They used this in order to assert themselves as being the authorities And they could also use this as a way to assert their belief that someone else 
was not of God, or they were sinning in a way that God found, obviously, to be unacceptable. Now, this is a very important thing to understand, because if you don't understand this, I don't think you're really going to appreciate what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. In verse 12, he says, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. In verse 13, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now, many people have spoken about verse 15 in the context of his eyes, where they will spend an enormous amount of time talking about his eyes and talking about the fact that he had a problem with his eyes and that this was probably an issue that could be related to other issues. But honestly, I don't see his eyes being the topic here at all. I really don't. What I see here is that he says, listen, I had a physical problem. Now, I can just imagine why he would bring this up and why they would possibly bring this up with him. Because the people from Jerusalem could have used this. They could have used this as leverage in order to promote themselves, in order to promote what they believe, because all they had to do was find out that he was there because he had a problem with his eyes. All they had to do then was to tell the Galatians, listen, if Paul was truly obedient to God, if he was truly righteous before God, then he would not have had this problem to begin with. The fact that he showed up and told you this gospel that he proclaims, this gospel that there's a new way of life that has nothing to do with the law of Moses, you know, you should have paid attention. You should have noticed that he was having trouble with his eyes. That shows you that God was exercising divine judgment against him to make sure that you would see, that you would see, that he was not telling you the truth. Because if he was, then he would not be cursed by God with this infirmity. He would not be cursed by God with this illness. That is exactly what a religious individual at this time would say in order to assert themselves, in order to promote themselves, in order to talk to these people and try to get them to believe in the gospel that they believed in, which was different from what Paul was teaching. This is exactly what they would do. And why would I say that? Because of how important these issues were to the people in Pharisaical Judaism at this time in history. In this time in history, this was a serious matter, a serious point of discussion, of debate, of understanding. It was a serious matter. And so for Paul to bring this up here tells me that they were probably confronted with this. I do. I believe that they were confronted with this. And he explains to them that when he was sick with this problem. It was because of this that they had the opportunity to hear the gospel. 
It was because of this in the circumstances that he was in. So why, why would they be trying to use this illness, this infirmity that Paul had, why would they be trying to use this as a way to draw these people away from the teaching that Paul gave them to the teaching that they were getting in Jerusalem from the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem to live a life according to the law of Moses and to be inspired to do so because that's what Jesus taught. That is exactly what he taught. He taught that in order to lead a person to the point of despair, to realize that they would have a need for the mercy of God so that they could embrace his forgiveness. That was the point. That was the purpose. Why would they do this, though? He continues, and he explains in verse 17. He says, They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. He says in verse 17 that they zealously court you. He told the Galatians that these people are courting you because they want you to be zealous for them, but not for the truth. Not for the truth, not for God, but for them. And why would that be important? Don't you know anyone around you? Do you not know anyone who wants people to listen to them for their own personal benefit? Don't you know anyone who wants people to follow them because they want others to be zealous for them? I know lots of people like that. I know many people who assert themselves as leaders, who assert themselves as the authorities, and they do so because they'll get paid because they can get people to follow them. They'll be popular. You know, there's a lot of money in religion, especially when you can employ religious extortion. There's a tremendous amount of money, a tremendous amount of popularity, a tremendous amount of position. Listen to the programs that I produced on tithing. I'll tell you a lot about Why people extort money for other people for their own personal benefit. Would these people be doing so in order to obtain money? Maybe, maybe not. We don't have that much information. I don't think we should concern ourselves with those kinds of questions here. But those are definitely real issues today, that's for sure. But at this time, when Paul was writing this, at this time, it appears that they only wanted people to be zealous for them personally. This would be a motive of acceptance. This would be a motive of position, popularity. This does not necessarily have to have a monetary motivation behind it, although they could very well leverage their popularity to have other opportunities to generate revenue as a result. But what does Paul say? Does Paul say, no, stay away from the law. Don't read the law. Don't look at the law. You know, I hear so many grace teachers, teachers who are attempting to teach grace. They are attempting to keep people from going into bondage. And they try so hard to keep people 
from studying the law, from reading the law. You know, it's almost like going into a room where there's a lot of people who have the flu. You know, reading the law is sort of like that. If you go into a room where there are a lot of people who have the flu, you might catch the flu. It's like that with the law for some reason. People think that if you go into the law after a while, you might catch some of these laws and you might start living according to these laws. You know, I think that's completely ridiculous. And I really believe that this keeps people from knowing the truth that God has revealed concerning many things. And I also believe that this puts a person in a very vulnerable position because if a person does not know the law, they can easily be deceived by people who say that they do and teach the law to them when you're not looking, when you're not around. I've seen this happen on a number of occasions. I have. I've seen this happen where people will be discipled by grace teachers who tell them that they are under a new covenant and stay away from the law. Don't ever go there unless you absolutely have to in order to check a reference or something like that. That's generally what it's for. But don't go there because we don't live there. They tell them that, and then years later they get sucked into some legalistic religious kind of stuff because they don't know the law. And that's the point. I believe that everyone should know the law, that they should know Moses. You should know everything that's in the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, and everything in between, everything before and everything afterwards. There is no reason to be afraid of the law. Everyone should know the law. That's what Paul says in verse 21. He continues in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 where he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? That's the point. People do not hear the law, and so they don't know what it says, and so it's easy for them to be a victim of these religious people coming around, putting them under the law, because they don't know the law. My friend, if you know the law, you will not be victimized by it. You will not be victimized by the people who use it inappropriately who say that it says one thing when it doesn't, when it says something else, or who say that it does say something when it's not even there, when they give the impression that there will be some result when it will never occur. You must know the law. Hear the law. Understand the law. That is your defense of the law. That is your defense that will keep you from bondage. Do not be afraid to study the law. You should do so, because the more you do, the more you will know the appeal of it, you will know the attraction of it, and you will know how it will put somebody into bondage. And through knowing that, you will be able to defend yourself. When somebody comes around and says something like, listen, if you observe the law, then when you get sick, God will heal you. If you know the law, you'll know full well, you will know how to respond to something like that. The response is simple. Well, according to the law, I would have to do all of it, all of it, in order to be healed on that basis, under that premise. You can say, yes, according to the law, that is true, but the conditions are conditions that I will never meet. So if those people in Jerusalem went to the Galatians, if they went to the Galatians telling them, and I'm just assuming that they did, telling them that they could not possibly have a relationship with God 
through what Paul taught them, because Paul was obviously cursed by God, as was indicated by this problem with his eyes, then they would be able to defend themselves from these people if they knew the law simply by saying, my friend, I appreciate that, but the law says that everyone is cursed by God according to the law to include you. To include you. You come here telling me that Paul was cursed by God because he had this problem with his eyes? But what about you? I don't see that God is cursing you through your eyes right now, but that doesn't mean that you're holy, that you're righteous, that you are obedient to God. If you know the law, then you can defend yourself. And so that is why Paul does not say, let me tell you all about the gospel again. Let me tell you all about the new covenant again. You do need to know those things. That's true. But that's not the only way to defend yourself from the bondage that people will try to put you under. Use the law. Use the very law that they claim is the way of life to show that there is no way to live it. So Paul does that. He continues in verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise. Which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. He says very clearly, very clearly, that there are two covenants. One leads a person into bondage and the other into freedom. One is related to the Jerusalem that these people were coming from, the Jerusalem that Paul had just come from. He knew about these people. He was in their council. He was there with all the elders and the apostles and everybody assembled together, and he spoke. He was there. He testified of the truth that God had revealed. He told them privately the gospel that he preached among the Gentiles which I will remind you about in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.